You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Honest AF Show. Today we are still kind of social distancing, but things are starting to open up quite a bit, although we've been having some riots and unrest. We are very, very excited today, Barb and I, because we have a very special guest. Yes, yes. We have from the Go Go's, Kathy Valentine. Woohoo! Welcome, welcome, Kathy. Welcome. Hey, hi. So, Kathy, oh my God, it's been so long since I've seen you. I know. For a little while, when I would go back, I would always like, like look you guys up or come visit. And then it just got to like, I would only be there for like three days and like not wanting to run around the whole, t- you know how that is when you're traveling and I know. you go see everyone, if you go see all your friends, then you don't do what you're there to do. I used to like tell Gilby, oh my God, I see that Kathy's in town. And then sometimes <laughs> I'd get like a little upset because I'm like, oh, we didn't get to see her. I think she left already. <laughs> I think last time I saw you, we met for lunch and Frankie was there and she was 16. And my daughter, Audrey, Holy was shit. like, yeah, she was in awe of her. So at the time just flies by. And if you have a kid, it seems like it flies by even scarily faster. Oh, yeah. You know, 100%. They mark your time. <laughs> well, Frankie's yeah. like. Just to scare you a little bit, she's 25. She's going to be 26 in a few weeks. So it's been 10 years. That's insane. How could that have been 10 years since I've seen you? Anyway, yeah. we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just change change of behavior, reset, reboot. I know. I, why did you move back to Austin? I don't even remember why that happened. Well, a lot of it was because uh, schools and like quality of life. And uh, with, we had a three and a half year old and everybody was like freaking out about in our neighborhood it was like, oh, we've got to get our kid into this kindergarten and this and that. And it was like, <laughs> it was just like insane. And yeah. like in Austin, we could get this fabulous house and the school district was the best school district in the state of, in the whole state. And it was, po- anyway, it was just like for family quality. But, yeah. you know, to be honest, she wants to go to UCLA. And oh, as wow. soon as she gets, as soon as she gets into college, I will, wherever it is, I'm going to leave Austin. I'm ready for a change. Oh, yeah. You think you're going to come back to LA? No, because once you get out of LA, like it's so hard to afford to live there. I'd like to be living in a trailer in Cathedral City probably is all I could afford. So I'd rather, <laughs> I'd, well, like once you sell your house, you're, you're just fucked, you know, I, so. I, I think we'll join you. Can we get a room in your trailer? Gilby's not working these days. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's like a lot of good places. Like I've been looking at the Hudson Valley. Uh, my boyfriend lives in, in New York City, so. I've been looking at Hudson Valley where you can get, you know, really nice house and be like an hour or two from the city. And I've never lived in that on the East Coast. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Who knows? Depends on what happens in the election. I might run away. Who knows? Yeah, I'm already, this is Barbara Ann, and I'm ready to go. Zach and I, my husband and I are ready to move to France. So that's uh, hopefully in the stars for us. Yeah, we told Audrey, we told Audrey of, um, if Trump gets elected, that she has to apply to Cambridge. And not that England is like, you know, got it all together. They've got their own messes. But 
Yeah. You have to look at a country that's been around for hundreds, centuries and centuries and, and trust that they're probably going to survive because they've survived so much. Yeah. Whereas we're looking more and more like a failed experiment or something. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I've never not known. I guess we never know what's going to happen, but it really feels now like what the heck is going to happen. It's you just know? the craziest time I have ever witnessed in this country. Yeah. And I don't even know where I'm going to be living. Like, it'd be one thing if I was just like, oh, I'll just stay in Austin. But I don't want to stay in Austin, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Out of out of Texas, I, I love Austin. But um, yeah, it, you know, when you think about it, um, Sharon Osbourne is my family. And we were talking the other night and she said, where can we go? Where are we going to go that's safe? And I'm like, I don't know, Canada, where, where can we go that's safe? I don't, I don't think we have too many options these days. Austin's my favorite place too. But, you know, in LA, I was in my 20s. I was in my 30s. I was in half of my 40s. So those are the friendships that are your deepest friendships. You know, the friends that I meet from being a mom to a an elementary school kid, like when I came here, though, that's, you know, that's a different sort of thing. So I, I just miss having those kind of friends, but that I'd have to live in LA for that. Anyway. Well, whatever. I just, I just finished your book last night. And for those of you who don't know, Kathy um, is now an author officially, right? Yes. Published um, author. Is this your first book? Got paid and everything. It is my first book, the first of what I hope will be many books. I at least um, at least I'd like to write like four or five more books. So I'm I trying to, to start you, a second one. Reading reading your book, first of all, it's called All I Ever Wanted, which Frankie, um, my daughter, told me that is um, she figured it out because I I didn't even catch on. I'm a kind of a slow learn, and uh, <laughs> she said, "Oh, that's from the song Vacation." <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, of course it is. That's right. Why did it take me so long to figure that out? Well, that's what's good about it though, is because it's got like it works and with that little kind of um, you know, little connection thing is cool, but it also fits exactly because, you know, all I ever wanted from the time I started having bands was to be in a band, to feel like I belong, to feel like I had that sense of a family that I thought a band would be like. So it really encompassed so much of the feeling behind the book as well as being a line in my biggest song. So it worked really well. And I didn't have the title chosen until probably like two thirds of the way. I was just going crazy because I hate not having a title. Like when I write songs, I really want a title that feels like it's, it feels like the a driver in the driver's seat or a, a rudder on a ship. It just gives you the direction that you're going in. So yeah, I think right, it's a good title. Right. And it's yeah. so funny because my son, I have a, a seven-year-old, and he saw me reading it up on uh, my tablet, and he said, oh, mommy, that's Billie Eilish's book. I said, no, because her big hit is all I ever wanted. Right. So, <laughs> he, he, you know, shows you the generations. I'm like, no, honey, wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong all I ever wanted. Yeah. But I know. My my. My publisher was a little worried about it because they said there's a couple of uh, like young adult books with that title too. And I was just like, you know, it's just right. Whatever. I so enjoyed reading this book. Um, I read it really fast. I I think I had it finished in like three days. I couldn't put it down. It was such a fun read. And for me, it was so nostalgic. I felt like it took me down the old days of 
Kim Fowley, Clem Burke, the Coconut Teaser, all the things that you mentioned were such a fun trip down memory lane for me. And by the way, all this time I've known you, I didn't know that you and Clem dated. You didn't? No, I never knew that. I think like you and I, even though we were friends, you were always closer to Gilby. And I think it's because you guys spoke the same language. (laughs) Yeah. And so Gilby knew, but he never said anything to me. I just thought you guys were all friends. Most of my relationships and the guys I love, like they just kind of morph into being like my brother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know if it's because I just like that male energy. My, My good friends have been guys a lot. And I just, when I love somebody, I don't, I don't want to just cut them loose. And so a lot of, I can see why you wouldn't think that because we come off as like brother and sister in a lot of ways or really good friends. And, you know, yeah. when I got married, when I got married, my, um, my, who's now my ex-husband, Stephen was like, how come Aud- all of Audrey's uncles are your old boyfriends? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, uncle Clem, uncle, this, uncle, this, uncle Denny, uncle this and that. So it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh- for those of you who don't know, Clem Burke is uh, the drummer for Blondie. And um, I, I think I mentioned Kim Fowley, who uh, put together the Runaways. Coconut Teaser was a club out here in L.A. that we all used to frequent. Um, club Lingerie, you mentioned. You know, actually, Gilby used to work at Club Lingerie <laughs> right before he got into GNR. Oh, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yes, of course. I do remember him doing sound. Um, the, the cool thing is that you don't have to be a Go-Go's fan to like the book. You don't have to know that era or those clubs to enjoy it. I really worked on making it, a, I think partly because my attention span and focus has gotten so less. I don't know if it's hormones or being a mom or what, but like I lose interest and maybe it's because I read things on my phone all the time, but my attention span's gotten really short. So when I was writing my book, I was like, I don't want people to put it down like a third of the way. I want it to have a pace and yet I don't want to sacrifice going deep, you know? So that was my goal. And I was really happy because so many people have said to me like, oh, I read it in one sitting or I read it in a couple of days and I couldn't put it down. And I just kept turning the pages and I feel like so accomplished because that was something I really wanted to do. But it's important that I let people know that you will probably find something to resonate, whether it's uh, the recovery aspects, not to give away the whole story or yeah. like a just mother daughter stuff or, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of aspects in humanity. And I like to make sure people know that because I think some people go, Oh, go-go's it's the story of the go-go's. I I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not interested. And it's really not, it's not the story of the go-go's it's the story of a, of a person, you know? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. There's you, I mean, you've gone through as a human being, you've gone through so much. And um, I found that really, really interesting, especially some of the stuff of you growing up and how you got into music um, and, and like what you turned you on to it. Um, I, I thought that was really interesting. I love the relationship with you and your mom. That was really interesting because I've gone through that with my mom, actually a pretty similar uh, relationship. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of your book really resonated with me. And I just thought it was really, really interesting. And also, the things that you did as, you know, a young girl back in those days, it was just, you guys were like the first to do a lot of the things that you did. Well, it was definitely the right place at the right time and the right band at the right time. And 
as I point out in the book, you know, the Go-Go's weren't the first band, all, first all-female band by far, but we were kind of the first one that got beamed into people's living rooms that had really good songs. You know, the, the songs are really what, uh, when anybody asks me, like, why do you think the Go-Go's were successful? I always say, because the songs were good. It's just, it's a, it's like that thing that you can't really, you can't really sustain. I mean, we could go on tour this summer. We were supposed to and sell out. And it's not because we have a new record out that's, you know, a hit. It's because we have a, a bunch of really good songs that have lasted over time. So it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty special thing to have been a, a part of. And I, I ex- writing about it, I really wanted to get on the page what it felt like, because, you know, it's one thing to just go, and then this happened, and then we did that. And that, that, right. that's not what I wanted. I wanted my reader to kind of know what it felt like to have your record go to number one or to be, you know, do all this work and have radio people never add your record and how frustrating that was and how much fun we were having. And to just be like 22 years old in New York City, making an album with your best friends. I mean, even just staying in a hotel for two months was like, mind-blowing to me I'm like who gets to do that who gets to stay in a hotel you know for, right. for, and so and I really wanted if I couldn't if I couldn't write down what it felt like I knew I wouldn't connect with my reader and so I, I feel like I really bring people on that journey like my very first shows were at the whiskey and I'd been a musician for a while I thought I was a big season pro but I hadn't <laughs> got to do that where I was like playing two shows a night sold out at the whiskey with the crowd going bonkers, you know, I'd never gotten to have that. And I, it was enthralling and I, I loved writing about it because it just made me, it made me just revisit how it felt. And that was really cool. That was I could tell how yeah. it felt for you. I thought you did a really good job at explaining exactly how everything felt to you and, and what it meant to you. Um, I really enjoyed that part of it. You're I'm, such a good writer. I thought it was um, really interesting as someone who's never met you. And um, I was a I was a fan of the Go-Go's and I, I worked for John Marks, who was Belinda Carlisle's agent um, when she went on to do solo stuff. So I'm familiar with um, with your, you know, you and your music. And I thought it was what I really loved, too, was how you really made it palpable when you first heard Cream and you're explaining like what it did to you. I, I live with the musician. I've been with him since, you know, the early eighties, since we're babies. And it, it felt very much like what he has explained to me, how it just buzzed and it just brought you to a place. And I thought it was so cool that you were able to convey that. Um, And it was, it was cool. It felt like you were going on the journey with you, which all good books that's what they should do right so i yeah yeah and thank you and and that was another thing that was really important to me because i feel like i feel like women's voices in music aren't heard a lot or they're they're just not maybe they're just not writing the stories but like everybody knows the stones you know loved muddy waters and blues and everybody knows the Beatles love buddy hall. Everybody knows what music was to the guys that we look up to in bands, but you don't hear that a lot about the women. And even before I was a musician, like the music was so like, like everybody, like, you know, music is, that's what kind of makes everything okay. And for me, it showed me there was a world outside of my kind of not so great circumstances and, 
you know, music is so important to everybody, but a lot of, a lot of times we don't hear about women who play music, how important the music was to them. And I wanted that to be a strong uh, narrative in my story. Yeah. You know, what it felt like to, you know, when, when, I mean, that Exile on Main Street record, it was like, like I wrote, like it made me feel like being in a band would be the greatest thing in the world. You know, that's what I felt like. I was like, God, I, I, and, you know, David Bowie and Mark Boland, they just made me go, these assholes I'm in school with that are torturing me because I'm different. They would like beat their asses. You know, they're such hypocrites. They love their music, but they would hate them if they knew them, you know, and it made me realize that there was a place for people that were not like the people around me, you know, there was a place mm-hmm. in the world for us all. Right. It, it, it's interesting too, because hearing your perspective on everything, it also is being a woman and everything. It's also very similar perspective to what I've experienced through Gilby. Um, because, you know, ultimately you guys just love music and just want to be in bands and want to play and write. And then there's always this whole business end of everything that gets involved and screws everything up and, and, and makes the relationships difficult and creates co- um, competition and all kinds of terrible things that will oh, yeah. stand apart. So that was really interesting to hear your perspective on everything. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to pull the curtain back a little bit, you know, people, we always get that the Go-Go's get this like kind of attitude, like, oh, you're just a bunch of backstabbing women or you're this and that. And I'm just like, no, this is hard. It's hard. You're, you're like being, it's like being married to a bunch of people. It's like, it's like being in a family. You can say something to, you know, we, we've all been in relationships where the, your, your partner or your mate gets mad and they're like, you said this this time and you don't even remember it, you know, but it's been something they've been harboring. And that happens in bands all the time, these little resentments or you hurt someone's feelings and don't even know it. And, you know, it just builds up. And then there's the the business part. And, uh, you know, I just want and when people like act like it's something unique, I'm like, have you, uh, excuse me, have you like checked out Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi or, I mean, bands fight. They fight, they you know, it's hard. Fight. Yeah, they do. It's, it's really, it's hard. They fight because it's hard. You know, it's, it's more than, you know, and you're, you're together all the time. You're on, you know, day in, day out. And the closer you become in a weird way, it's not reality. So you're, you're, you've got this false closeness that isn't really, it's not really your family, you know. Hard to describe. I'm not really articulating It's really hard to describe, well. but it, it, it is, it's true. It's like, you, you think you're family, you spend so much time together, there's so many intimate moments together, and you write all these amazing songs together, you go on tour, you play these incredible shows, but then when it comes down to it, it's a business, and you have to tread lightly, everybody's got egos, and uh, you've, Gilby, I was just to say, it's so hard, because all I really want to fucking do is play my guitar. But I have yep. to deal with lawyers, accountants, managers, agents. He goes, and all this bullshit that comes along with it just m- makes me sick. 
Well, sounds like Gilby should read it too, because I think he would relate a lot. <laughs> he would relate a lot. You know who I just passed it off to? I finished it last night. Frankie's been asking me, are you done with it? Are you done with it? I'm, I'm done. I'm done here. And I passed it off to her. Uh, she's really oh, good to read it because, you know, Frankie's got, she's a musician also, and she's in a band. And uh, she was really curious to read your perspective um, about. Oh, good. I I mean, it's a very different business now, obviously, but I still think there's a lot that anybody could be inspired by or, or you know, learn from because, you know, you do learn with experience and age and, you know, part of the thing when you're, I mean, she's, she's in a band and, and she's, you know, she's, she's going to learn if she hasn't already that as much as you want it to be a democracy, you know, it's not always a democracy, you know, and that's hard. And, and one thing it took me a really long time to learn, but just like, like just use psychology. One person, everybody's got a very different agenda, you know, so, or a different makeup, a psychological makeup. And like one person likes to feel like they're the controlling one. So, you know, call them up and say, Hey, when are we supposed to do this today? And they tell you, and they feel good that they, they got the inside scoop and you've given them what they want is what I'm saying. And, and life is a little easier or somebody else wants to be babied and they want their hand held and somebody else wants to be, they just want to be in the center of attention. And I'm not characterizing anybody in my band. I'm just saying, you know, when you, it's not that hard to give somebody what they want, you know, if you just kind of pay attention and and are aware and like what, what kind of just lifts them up, just give it to them, just lift Mm -hmm. them up, you know? And some people like, it would have meant everything to me. I was, when I joined the band, they had such good songs and I, I was the last person to join and we got signed about five months later. And I was lucky to get one song on the first record but they had written really good songs, Jane and Charlotte, I'm talking about. And we did an entire tour, an entire press, where all all the press talked about was how good the songs were and that they were the writers. And each time, it's just like I would feel a little bit like, well, I, I you know, like I, I write songs too, but there's no reason anybody would know that because I wasn't on there. But just like recognition was what I wanted from my bandmates, if not the press, you know, and it's just like... I just don't think we knew how to be empathetic and compassionate and see what was good for somebody else. You know, maybe you have to be a mom to do that or be a mature person or. I was just going to say that I'm I'm wondering if that has something to do with age as well. You all were very, very young too at the time and things were moving fast. I felt like I was like somewhere between like the emotional maturity of like a, a teenager and a college freshman, probably until I was 30. I mean, I really don't think I, I wasn't, it's not that I was dumb. I mean, I was smart. I was creative. I was talented, but I don't think I was very emotionally mature. And plus I was very much in survival mode all the time because of the way I was raised. You know, the way, the way I felt growing up was like, I got to take care of myself. That's my job. Yeah. Yeah. That's my job. And that, so that was kind of my, my motivation all the time. And when the band started getting messed up and, and fraying and coming apart at the seams, it put me in a a place of a lot of fear and a lot of desperation because the band was how I could take care of myself. And that's just not a good way to operate. You know, who wants to go through life feeling afraid and desperate? (laughs) Right. With a lot of young artists, even today, you always think it's going to last forever. 
You never know that you never think that it's going to end or that you're going to run out of money or that, you know, you always think it's, oh, it's successful. It's going to be like this forever. And you can have all this money. Exactly. You don't expect. I thought that I didn't expect it at all. And even when we broke up, I thought, okay, well, I did it once. It's just around the corner before I do it again. And like I spent all my money like rehearsing at SIR and I didn't pay band members, but I just didn't want to go backwards. I'm like, no, it's going to happen again. And it didn't, you know, I've had some really great bands now for like 40 years. I just put band after band together and they're good. I know what a good band is. I know what a good song is. I know what a good, cool musician is, but I, the success has been elusive and that's cool. I, I, I love playing, you know, for different reasons than success, but, um, you know, you, you just don't think it's going to go away, just like you said. No. And I, I have a question. Are you, is Audrey, did Audrey read the book yet? No, she, she picked up part. One day I came home when, like, I got my advanced copies, which are like uh, what they send out to press. And I had a bunch of them. And one day she said, she said, I looked through your book, you know, I, I'm proud. It's good. I didn't read the whole thing. I think she's not ready for all of it, but she read parts of it. She knew that there's some pretty uncomfortable things for her, you know, that, that, and I don't, I think she's always been really good at kind of self-regulating and knowing right. Thank what, you she too. Can, what she can handle. Yeah. I think it's being an only child, you know, you just, yeah. you have that, you, you kind of know. So I just let her, but, um, I'm really happy because she's 17. She's going to be a senior next year. And I think she was worried because we live in kind of, you know, we live in an area that's, it's not like, I don't know how you would describe it. It's just, she was a little concerned, I think, what her friends, moms, like her, the moms. And it's been awesome. Like I've gotten letters, I've gotten cards, I've gotten like so many of the moms have just said that they loved it. And, you know, I know that we have different values and, and beliefs. So to hear that from people that aren't judging me, that are Mm -hmm. more mainstream, I guess I should say, Mm -hmm. uh, has been really cool because, you know, I don't want to just preach to the choir. I want to open people's minds and eyes that, you know, if you're pro-life, that there's reasons that women have to choose not to have a baby and have to have that right. choice. I, that it was a hard story to talk about yeah. having an abortion and having a second one. I, that was really, that's my business and it's personal, but yeah. I felt like, you know, if you don't do this, then it just stays like this big shameful thing that nobody really, they just like, I don't know. I just feel like it's important to put human faces and circumstances to that word. I also think it's important when you're writing a book, if you're going to be taking that moment in time to write a book, which takes so much out of you and so much time, um, it, it's best to just be honest, you know, and, and you are, you're very honest in your book. And I, I really, I'm, I'm honest, honest as fuck. So there you go. (laughs) It's absolutely true because, you know, I, I felt the same way. I thought, number one, I'm really practical. I've always been so practical. And I just thought, who is really going to care that the bass player wrote a book? You know, really, I'm not the star. I'm not the front person. I'm not, I, I never really wanted to be in the spotlight. So I thought pr- the way th- that people are going to care is if I do it really well. I have to write it a really good book. And um, 
to me, a memoir, it's what, it's not like I'm writing a novel where it has to be a really good literary masterpiece. You know, it's like I'm writing a memoir and the way to write a good memoir is to not let yourself off the hook, to not sugarcoat or whitewash things Mm -hmm. and to be honest without hurting or outing other people. And that was, that was, I felt like if I don't, if I don't do that and some people were like, well, why would you want people to know this stuff about you or that you did this or that? And, and I'm like, cause they have to know who I am and they have to know that I, that I changed. That's the whole, that's what a story is. The person starts out one way and they end up different. That's a story. It was actually probably the best therapy I've ever had. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of tears, a lot of remorse, a lot of regret, a lot of processing and grieving. And I wrote a soundtrack to the book too, which was a a great experience and it's really good music. So I thought it was kind of interesting that the the book kind of, I should send you a link. I'll send you a link to the soundtrack. It's it's, but it, I was just very inspired by the, what I wrote and I've used songwriting as a way to process and, and, uh, what's going on externally and internally with me for, for many, many years. And I thought I want to do that with some of what I've talked about. So sometimes like between the, the chapter, like there's a chapter where I describe, hitchhiking to Houston. I'm 14 and I get in a bad situation and I'm basically raped. And all my life, I just didn't think of it as that. I thought, oh, you were a dumbass. You you hitchhiked, you got in a bad situation. And ultimately you just told him to do it because you just wanted to get it over with. So that doesn't count. But when I was writing it, I'm like, I'm a 14 year old with a guy that's like, uh, yeah, it does count. So that was like one level of wake up. And then I wrote the song that goes with it. And that song just like it it just opened the box and I grieved for three days. I like just cried that nobody was looking out for me. And I, I was so trained to like just move on, move on, move on. Don't look back. Don't uh there's no point in, in hurting. There's no point in being sad. It doesn't get you where you want to go. Just forget about it. That's that was how I lived. I think yeah, a lot of women yeah. learn to just kind of stuff things and, and not not really deal with them. People talk about things a lot more now than they did back then. I always felt really responsible. Like I like if my sadness caused somebody else to be sad, I felt more responsible for them. It was like, okay, I can deal with being sad, but I can't d- deal with my sadness making you sad or you hurt. So I would never, like my, I had to be like, you know, in my 40s and 50s before I would like say, hey that I could like not feel so, but I still do it. It's just a, a, I feel responsible for everything and everyone. It's crazy. Might be because you're a Capricorn. That kind of comes with Saturn. It's uh, Ah, a Saturn. I didn't know that. Yeah. Saturn kind of, it's a, it's the uh, astrological playpen. You kind of feel responsible for everybody and you always want to make everybody feel good. And you don't always look to yourself. That's exactly, that's me to a T. Yeah, and yeah. I was like that from the minute, I was like that from being a kid. So it has to be part of the uh, astrological makeup. That's so interesting. What else is also interesting about Capricorns is they get better as they get older. And they have a really difficult childhood usually if you have Capricorn somewhere in your chart in a, in a, strong, in a strong place. So um, yeah, so your book was... It wasn't a surprise to me when I looked up your birthday that you're a Capricorn because you have um, 
your life experience has a lot to do with your, you know, wow, your beam. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting, but, um, okay. Good, I'm going to, I'm going to aim better as you get older. So that's, that's a, that's the bonus. That's true. I'm going to email you after this and, and ask you more. Please how you do. Know this and what, Please do. That'd be awesome. And I have double Capricorn too. I'm ah. a Capricorn moon sign too. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's a whole, yeah, it's tough. That's a lot of earth and a lot of Capricorn and a lot of Saturn. So um, yeah, please, please email me. I, I, I'm married to a Capricorn. I'm Capricorn rising. I kind of know more about Capricorn than I, I should, but um, <laughs> I could, I could maybe uh, let you, you know, answer a few questions. Yeah. So. Just, yeah. Point, point me in direction. So cool. So yeah, um, yeah it was, it was very uh, cathartic and, you know, what's even funny is like, I was supposed to do a 23 city book tour. Like I really pulled out this amazing tour and I thought I've always been just like this chick in the band and I've never been just Kathy Valentine. And I think I've always played it safe in a way. I was, I didn't want to be that because, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to, I never wanted to be the star or in the spotlight, but when I wrote the book, I'm like, okay, it's time to be you. It's just time to be you. You've got these songs. They're great. You've got this book. You are, the book is the equivalent of being like in the spotlight with your, with no clothes on practically. (laughs) So, uh, so I, I put together this tour with my publisher, 23 cities, and I was so excited to go out. Anyway, all got canceled because of COVID and coronavirus, but I've done, so I've done all my promotion from home. uh, And I've gotten a lot of really great responses and acclaim and like almost maybe better than it would have been. I don't really know Who, who knows, but the interesting thing is that like when you go to therapy, you basically, they ask you questions and you talk a lot, right? So that's what I've been doing for months now. I get asked questions in interviews and I talk a lot and I have learned stuff about myself just from doing the, the interviews in the press. Like right. not only the book was what was some, was revelatory, but oh my God, just like talking And it sounds weird to say just talking about me, but it's not like just talking about these topics and issues and everything has been, it's been quite a little journey. How long did it take you to write the book? It took me three years, but part of the the time was, this is kind of interesting and this will be in in one of my future memoirs because this book ends in 1990. There's a little epilogue that kind of sums up some things, but there's right. a very compelling story after that for the next 30 yeah. years, because I'm 61 now. And um, so it took three years, but I took eight months off because my dad and I got close and people that read the book, they're going to see that I didn't really have my dad in my life. And yeah. I, of course I pushed it down and aside, but it had a, his absence was a big presence in my life and it had a huge effect on me. And I got a chance to get close with him for eight months of his life. The problem was he was dying. So he was lucid and he was not like, he didn't have dementia or anything, but we, until his last breath, we were sharing and talking and growing close. And it was really healing and heartbreaking at the same time. But I couldn't write then. I stopped, I just put the book aside, didn't write because I was just focused on learning, you know, letting my dad know who I was and him knowing who I was. But, um, one thing I, one thing I am really proud of and a message I really like to put out is that I'm 61 and 
I think it's so hard for women, you know, as we get into our 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. because it's just like you have to find your place in the world again. And you have to do it without relying on, on your youth or your energy or being hot. You know, it's just like you mm-hmm. not that you can't be, but it's like mm-hmm. you really have to kind of redefine and refine yourself. And I like I like putting that message out there and hopefully inspiring women that at 61, I've done something really brave and new and challenging and, you know, between it's just like you don't it doesn't have to stop. It doesn't have to stop. I you can still completely agree with you. I think you really achieved that because when I finished reading the book, I thought to myself, wow. I, first of all, I was upset that I finished the book because I wanted it to keep going. And I have known you a long time and I know there's so much more that's happened since all of that. So I was thinking to myself, my God, she has a she has so many more books in her that she could be writing. There's so many more things that I, I would want to know about too. There, there's a lot. I mean, just parenthood. And, you know, I, yeah. I got, pre- I had my daughter when I was, I mean, I, I had her and then I turned 44. I, I like had to, which is great. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I even got to it before the gate shut, you know, <laughs> it was so, but you know, as in getting married, like I was thinking when, when you get pregnant, like every woman buys this book, what to expect when you're expecting. And right. like, it's the Bible, it's the pregnant Bible. And, but when you get divorced, oh my God, it's like right. everyone does it in, in such a painful way. And I'm really proud of me and my ex-husband's divorce because we're best friends and it doesn't, I mean, it's hard, I guess, if somebody's really just being a jerk, you know, I guess that mm-hmm. happens, but I feel like there should be a, um, like a manual or a book that can help you deal with. I just don't think there, maybe there are, I didn't, I didn't look for them or anything, but I kind of want to write a, a divorce book, like what to expect when you're divorcing or something. <laughs> oh, you should but I totally guess do that. I, I think it's probably hard because like I said, you know, if you're dealing, like I know a couple of my friends. They got divorced and like the guy was just like horrible. Like he wouldn't mm-hmm. like, so I don't know. I didn't have that since that circumstance. So I I'm always amazed by, I'm always amazed by how people go into marriage. So in love, have this big celebration, big wedding, so in love with each other. And then when it ends, it's just so disgusting and ugly and painful. Um, it's brutal. It's like that marriage story. You know, the mm-hmm. movie that came out a few months ago with, um, Adam Driver and Scar- yeah, Scarlett Scarlet Johansson. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was like so realistic, you know? I didn't, wa- I didn't watch the whole movie. I started watching it and for some reason I couldn't really click with it. So I stopped watching it, but I've been hearing great things about it. So I want to go back and actually watch it. Do you remember War of the Roses? That movie? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> Michael Douglas and yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Michael Douglas and uh, Catherine the idiot's guide to divorce or uh, how to how to get divorced but then you need to write one the divorce diet because all of my girlfriends that have gotten divorced their bodies never look better it's like oh they lost 200 pounds their husband and you know the 10 extra that they had to get rid of so exactly. um, yeah i the divorce diet seems to be a thing too it's really hard uh it's like i just never thought about it cuz i'm i'm a product of a broken home and you know, I've known tons of people that got divorced and I was like, eh, it happens, it happens. But when you go through it, you realize how devastating it is. And 
you know, I didn't get married till I was 43. And I just thought, right. oh, this is it. This is the last, this is the last guy I'm ever going to be with. That's what I thought, right. you know, and right. then to be single at 50. And I'm like, are you yeah. freaking kidding me? I'm supposed to like, I'm, who who's going to what? And like <laughs> my trainer, my trainer at the gym, she goes, oh, you should meet this guy. He's so cool. You know, blah, blah, blah. and she goes, oh, there, there he is. And I look and he's like 80 and I'm like, oh my ah! God. You know? <laughs> and then I was like, I was thinking like, oh, you're supposed to like get old and watch this happen with the person. You're not supposed to like take off your clothes for the first time at, you know, at 60. And that's, you know, bang, that's what they see. It's supposed to be gradual, you know. <laughs> yeah, you have to adjust so, your eyesight. And then you have yes. the other story where you have Kate Beckinsale dating a 22-year-old that yeah. looks like her infant. And I'm like, I don't know. I would want to be somewhere in the middle. If, if I've been with my husband, um, well, we started dating in eighth grade and then we've been together since our senior year in high school. And if anything were to happen to him or if we got divorced or whatever, I would never, ever, and you never say never, but I'm telling you, I would never get married again. I will never take care of another man, but I will definitely <laughs> date. And I would date younger for sure, but maybe maybe younger that wear glasses and that I could snatch their glasses when it comes time to get busy. I don't know. <laughs> it would definitely be part of an, the next memoir because it, it's just, a, it's mine. It is a mind fog because I, you're single at 50 and yes. I didn't even have a date for like seven years, seven years. Whoa. And like, yeah. And then, and then you think it's over and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just save up my money and like go on a, a ge national geographic. That was my big plan. I'm going to go on a national geographic private jet world tour. And I'm going to meet somebody when I'm in my six. That was my big plan. And, um, and then like when I least expect it, when you're not looking, like we all know that's when it happens. Although you both have that experience where you've been with the same guy since like yeah. eighth grade, right? You both, I'm, starting to, think, yeah, mean, you I'm guys starting to think I've been with Gilby this long because if I wasn't with him, I'd be terrified. So <laughs> I'm putting up with all his bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, that's rare. I mean, you guys must have talked about that. That I mean. Yeah, yeah. We talk about that um, quite often, actually. Anyway, seven years. And, and then I ended up meeting this guy. We're in a long distance thing, which I don't mind. It's fine with me. I don't, I don't need to like sit around watching movies every night and all that stuff. Um, in fact, I'm more productive. Plus I was, you know, raising, my daughter was 13 when we met and I didn't want to like, you know, oh, here's a new guy. But um it's like, he's my, he's two years older. So there's just a lot of hope. Like I went seven years. I meet somebody when I'm 57. It's a fantastic relationship with a gorgeous, sexy, smart guy. And I want that to be in my book, my next book too, because yeah. I think, you know, people, people just need to know that things don't end, you know, you can still find romance and, and, and love and passion and you can start new projects. And I was in a movie for the first time, uh, in 2015 and it terrified me, but I did it. And I started giving speeches and that terrified me because I'm used to like having my guitar in front of me and not being me, basically just not being me. Like I'm just playing and singing in a band. And when you do a speech, you have to like find something to say and you have to, if they don't like you, then it's really awkward. So you have to just be yourself. And it's, 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 um, 
it's just, it feels like a huge risk and you feel really vulnerable, but at the same time, it's really exhilarating and, and it makes you feel young. It makes you feel young to do new challenging things that scare the shit out of you. And exactly, that's exactly how I feel too. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about getting older is that you have to reinvent yourself in a way. Yeah. And I think it's a really, I think it's our job. I mean, I'm older than you guys, but it's our job to make sure that women that are in their thirties and forties know that they got just the, the sky's the limit in front of them. And it's not based on now. And I, I've been finding that myself, uh, just getting older was so scary to me, but I find like, you just never know as long as you stay open to possibilities and ideas and just kind of think outside your box. It's, it's, it's unreal. The things that it, it, you're right. It doesn't stop. Yeah. And, and it does, it, it makes you, it keeps your mind. I mean, another thing I've done is been taking college classes for since like the nineties, you know, and I started because I got tired of my bands, like not getting anywhere. And it was so frustrating and you do all this work and it just seemed like they just wouldn't take off. And, I just started thinking, all right, if I go take a class, I learn something, I get an A, I'm, I just felt like moving forward. So I think that I really recommend that. And it doesn't have to be going to like college. You can, there's so much at your disposal. There's like iTunes University with lecturers from Yale and Harvard. And one of the best classes I took was a black history class, which is really timely. And it really opened my eyes as to um, what we don't learn in school about African-American history. Uh, there's, but that's another way to, to, to kind of, uh, I think not get old, you know, it keeps your mind active and open and open to new ideas and learning. So that's a big part of my message. When, when I write another book, I I don't want to just write self-help or, memoir. I, I would love to do like a collection of short stories or something, but I do like writing a lot and I want to do more of it, but it's hard. It's really hard work. Like with a song, it you is. just sit down and, you know, you write the song and it's done. The book, it's like, oh my God, like every day, it just feels like you're just getting nowhere. And, and, you know, just, oh, I wrote three pages, only, you know, 200 more to go. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> it is, it's, it's hard work. But I think yeah. it's so great. I, I think a lot of people should write their own story. Um, I, I, I always think everyone's got an interesting story and, and they, they should, everyone should write their story, whether it's for their, for themselves, for their family, uh, just to have, you know, it, it I think it's just a great thing to do and to kind of revisit everything you've been through and what got you to where you are today and how do you, you know, get through some of these difficult moments because we've all had ups and downs in our life. And I I think it's so interesting to read memoirs. I agree. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. And like, I, when I meet somebody for the first time, like, I pretty much skip the small talk and I just want to find there's, I want to learn, hear their story. I want to know what, what, what is their deal? Like what makes you tick? Mm-hmm. What I just want to get right into it. And I always say, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but I always say you have to be really fucking boring for me not to find something interesting about a person because I just think people are interesting. You know, pretty much mm-hmm. everybody, like you just said, has got something in their they've got a story and yeah. I agree with you. It's just, 
And it's also teaches you just about kind of like your own voice, you know, like right. you know, trust, trusting your voice and trusting your, and sometimes you see patterns. Like I wrote in the book, like how supportive, like all the guy musicians I'd ever looked up to had been, a, been for me. And yet mm-hmm. I'd never thought about that. I'd never noticed it. It was when I wrote it. And I, after I'd written like several chapters, I'm like, my God, every guy that I looked up to, cause I didn't have women musicians in Austin. So I was dependent on guys and they were all supportive. Now, maybe, maybe it's because they sensed that I, you know, my heart was in the right place and everything, but I don't know what it would have been like if anybody had like said, Oh, isn't that cute? Go play your guitar, little girl, you know, or or whatever. It was, it wasn't, it was like, here, you need a better amp. Let's go get one. Hey, does your band want to open for my band? We got this. It was like, non-stop let me show you this what what song can I show you let me show you how to play this or uh try this pedal it was like support the whole time and I never recognized that until I wrote it and I saw the pattern of it and it made me really happy to to like kind of acknowledge that and I've gotten a lot of people have said wow I wouldn't have expected that I wouldn't have expected that some of your stories the ones that you told with um meeting Keith Richards. Yeah. And then I got more, sto- I got more, a couple more Keith stories that'll go in the next book because they happened yeah. after 1990. So they're really good. But, and even like in the Go-Go's when we were on tour with the police and our record mm-hmm. bypassed theirs and it wasn't number one yet, but I think we moved up to like number 10 and theirs moved down to like 16 and instead of it being weird, like Sting comes in with champagne and toasts us and they shout it out from the stage. I mean, I just felt like in my experience, men musicians have been really supportive, wow. not sexist. And the the problems always came from like radio programmers or uh, people in the venue. Like, yes. And even like my band now, I mean, even in 2020, We'll go play somewhere and you can just see these kind of smirking attitudes. And then we plug in and we play and they're like all hovering around, like wanting to hang out with you because you're, because you kiss, you kick ass, you know, and it doesn't bother me because I know they're going to change, but it's just surprising to me. Like the default for mm-hmm. a lot of guys is like that you're not going to be bad. I mean, come on. There's so many women that are great, great, great yeah. musicians. Why would you um, even, why would you even turn your nose up? Like when somebody shows it, pulls up to the club. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people, it takes so much to get someone to do that, you know, to, uh, so much that you have to go through as a performer. And then I, I always feel like that. I, I always see, you know, even like when Frankie's playing in her band or, you know, even just to see some of the rubbish that people write online on other people's Instagram stuff and postings. I'm like, why would you want to tear someone down? <laughs> it's just, you know, give people oh, a chance. Man. It takes so much. Um, yeah. I have a question I, for you. Yeah. How was it for you? Because one of the, one of the things Barb and I have two segments that we always do. One of them is Dear Daniela and the other one is Barb's bag of tricks. So one of the questions that I get a lot, are a lot of people ask me how I dealt with Gilby being out on the road all the time and having to just kind of deal with groupies and all that kind of stuff. 
how was that for you, you know, being a woman dealing with that, with having to be on the road and having a boyfriend behind, you know, it's a reverse, it's kind of a role reversal. Well, it's, it was so funny because, um, I think I wrote in the book, like there was like, especially in Europe, it would, if you walked into the lobby of the hotel, what you would see was usually at least two or three go-go's on the payphone of the lobby sobbing (laughs) 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 because because we figured out really quickly if you called from your hotel room that like there goes all your per diems it was so expensive and (laughs) cell phone there was there was phone calls from japan you had to get a second mortgage on your house yeah mexico yeah exactly and so like you're like in some foreign country you're like in germany on a payphone like trying to like get through anyway so it was it was people asked me a lot about groupies uh through my whole career and we didn't have them at all like guys are just intimidated or they don't put themselves in that situation but we tended to like people would have like flings with their with uh the somebody in the opening band or somebody on the crew it was almost like and i know this isn't really your question but that that would happen where there was like these little mini relationships or flings would happen right um but but for me and i think for all of us until belinda got with the baseball player we pretty much were always with musicians so they understood mm-hmm. you know my right. my first my first boyfriend that i ever had in my life was danny harvey and uh he we met in New York when I was making the album and he was in Levi and the Rock Hats and he was a great guitar player. And, mm-hmm. you know, know when we met, yeah, yeah, he was like, he was, they were, they were doing good, you know, the Rock Hats. And um, so he, he got it, but it was hard, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. There, a lot of time was on the phone you know, and letters. I still have like right. all these cards and letters that were addressed yeah. to, to hotels. You'd send, you'd send your boyfriend an itinerary and you'd yeah. get to the hotel and there would be a card or a letter. I mean, it was kind of, kind of cute in a way. Yeah. It was cute in your book. You mentioned that the Ramones sent you a telegram to congratulate you. That was really cool. That was my favorite thing ever. Telegram. <laughs> I'm so mad that, cause it was physical, you know, you could see it like, yeah. you know, uh, dear Go-Go's, stop. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. You know, it's like the, car- the cartoon thing. Um, right. But yeah, it was my very, so it's my favorite thing of having a number one record was getting a telegram from the Ramones. And I have no idea where it is or who got it or if it just, because there's only one, they didn't send five. So it's not in my archives. I've got some pretty cool stuff. I'm sure it's on uh, eBay somewhere. (laughs) I got to ask Gina if she has it. She seems to be kind of the one that keeps everything. But yeah, that's, that was the coolest. A lot of good stories. Absolutely. And you know, you don't want to be like name droppy. I I really don't like memoirs where I've, I've read memoirs where the person is just like, it just feels like a list of, of awards and accolades and famous people Mm -hmm. that they've Mm -hmm. encountered. And, you know, I just thought, okay, if, if it happened and I remember it and it kind of proves kind of illustrates or gives a context to the story, then I'm good. There's a lot of things I didn't include either because it would have incriminated the person or because (laughs) it it didn't really move the story. So people are like, you know, there's so much I didn't write so much. 
yeah. that has to do with known people. I think the only critique I would have is I wanted more pictures. I know, me too. I have yeah. so many pictures and I wanted more. Yeah. And because my publisher, University of Texas Press, they're super, they're a nonprofit and they've put out a series of really cool music books. And I was really excited to get a book deal. Number one, I didn't have to write a manuscript and sh- shop it around. Uh, like they, they wanted me to write the book and they, they signed me without a manuscript, which is pretty hard if you're, a, yeah, a, that's amazing. Yeah. If you've never, so I love that about them, but I also love that they, like I talked to an agent before about doing a memoir and he said, you're never going to get a book deal unless it's just a spill the dirt, tell all. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's not what I want to write. I, I don't want to write that book. And he goes, well, you'll never mm-hmm. get a book deal. And, um, UT Press wasn't like that. They they were like, we want your story. You know, they they mm-hmm. said you write whatever you want and do it the way you want. So those were two of the biggest things. I didn't have to do a manuscript, and they were going to let me write the book I wanted. But the downside is they 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 made a beautiful book. It's gorgeous. I, I love the way my book looks and smells yeah, and feels. I do too. But uh, there was limits to like what they could spend. You know and the amount of photos apparent, like I wanted, like, have you seen Debbie Harry's book? It's so graphic and cool. And like, there's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like I would have loved to have like pages where there was like a ghosted photo underneath the text or right. pictures throughout the chapter, like pictures relevant to that chapter, like instead of just like yeah. in the middle, but apparently that's real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 this yeah. was great though. I thought I thought it really you did a great job. And most of the time when people are writing books, they have ghostwriters or you know editors doing everything. And I could tell that it was your voice, and I loved it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the thing that the one thing that made me the most upset since I published the book was I saw somebody talking about like it was obvious that I had a ghostwriter, and my head almost exploded because I was just like. <laughs> how dare you how how dare you take this away from me that i worked so hard on it's actually a compliment or, i guess yeah i was just going to say that it is actually a compliment because they're you know underestimating the fact that you were able to convey and write to the level that you did so maybe take it as a compliment because you know they're underestimating the fact that you could you could write so prolifically so I can tell when a book is ghostwritten. It doesn't have the character and it doesn't have, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the, the, the true personality of the person. So I, I think it's pretty apparent that mine has my personality. I mean, it's really in my voice. It, it's yeah. completely. And there was weird times where I felt like I was like, I could feel my writing change as I was in different eras of my life. Like, like I could feel when I was writing like little tough Kathy and I could feel when I was writing like, you know, kind of feelings hurt, like different parts of my life. It felt like, se- like I was 17 writing about being 17. And I felt like I was 24 year old me writing. The last time I remember seeing you was at your, your 50th birthday party. No, no, we've seen each other. I just remembered too. Uh, the, the, the lunch was not the last time I saw you because I, I did this, I was going to go on tour and I came over and you like, you like, like, um, helped me like get some cool clothes together. I remember that. Too. Oh, that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? Right. I got, 
Yeah. It was like I got skinny for a little while, and I was like, <laughs> all right, I get to wear some cool Frankie V jeans. It's so funny because I was when I was reading your book, I was remembering that when I was really young, I went to go see the Go-Go's play, and I went with one of my girlfriends, and how weird is it that I went to go see the Go-Go's play, didn't know you at that time, um, and I was really, really young, and then to grow up, have my child and then have my child play at your daughter's birthday party. <laughs> I know. And like, so I remember that so well. It was, it was sweet and sour, right? Yeah. Sweet, sweet on sour. Frankie's first band. I loved that so much. And Audrey, like that was the same birthday that we had, like, we had like this horrible Elmo. So we had like a rock band of, of like nine year olds. <laughs> And this horrible Elmo and the Elmo like when it was time to pay him, he like wouldn't stop. He wouldn't drop his Elmo. He's like, okay, that'll be $400, please. You know, and what is wrong with you? Okay. So now that you're in your sixties, I'm now in my fifties. So is Barb. What is like your, your go-to product? Do you have anything that you have to have beauty wise? Yes. Yes, I use Sicily exclusively. Um, mm. Sicily um, is from France, and I really think it's. I mean, ge- genetics is the key thing, obviously. Right. And my mom is eighty-three, and sh- her face. I mean, God, I hope I have her complete genes because she looks really good. You know, British her face just, is not just yeah. Absolutely. So, um, but Sicily, I, I really like, and it's really, really expensive. So the, the key thing is number one, you really got to hit up for the samples. Like every store I go into as a Sicily counter, <laughs> I have this whole like, like routine. I hope none of them are listening to this cause then my, I'll get busted. But like, I always like, Listen, I always go, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I haven't tried this. And so that, you know, can I try it out? And then once you got them like giving you one, it's easy to get more. And then you're like, Oh, well, I'm traveling. I'm only here for like four more days. I really missed this product. I didn't bring it. And so anyway, so it's super expensive, but here's what I have found. It's like, if you get like, if you just can like build up your supply to like your three favorite things and then only run out of one at a time, then it's, it's doable. It's like, if you run out of everything, it's impossible to buy them all because they're so expensive. But um, what I've also found is when I buy cheaper products that they, I plow through them in like a month or something. And with the Sicily stuff, I, I can just use it really sparingly. You don't need a lot. It's a little goes a long way and I can make a product last five or six months or longer. So that's my justification, but it, it works really, really well. I also use um, coconut oil a lot. I love coconut, coconut oil. oil. Mm-hmm. Good stuff too. I don't do um, any fillers. I don't, I don't want to do that because I just feel like it's in vain and it's going to, so it's not for me. I I get why people do it, but I I don't do that. And every day, every year on my birthday, I take a photograph of Mm -hmm. myself as soon as I wake up and I have no makeup on and I always go, it's okay to age. 
this is me at age 55, 56. I've done it. Yeah. I did the last one. I have to say it was a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're braver than and, I. I'll tell you that. Well, the, it's all lighting. It's all, I mean, lighting is so key. I mean, I remember one time we were, the Go-Go's were doing um, the Tonight Show and Raquel Welch was a guest and oh, she must have been in her seventies or something or maybe, but she was out there on a ladder, like putting the lights the way she wanted. Like she knew exactly yeah. what she wanted. And it just really like it, it, um, it struck home with me. I'm like, okay, this is important. And you got to take control. <laughs> and, and it's hard though. Cause I've done like, I, I just, I go through this mini freak out anytime somebody asks me to like, Oh, will you be in my documentary or will you speak about this? You know? And I'm always like, shit, because you know, it's forever. And if they don't have good makeup people and good lighting, it's just, it's just kind of sucks. And, and it's hard to control that. It really is. Um, Then you need to do a podcast because then you don't have to be on camera. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was even glad when you guys said the way your your uh, platform that you use. I'm like, oh, good. I don't have to put on makeup or do anything. I have to do a Zoom call with horrid lighting. It's fine. <laughs> um, Zoom, I always look like I'm like really pink. I can't figure it out. I guess I have to get one of those O lights or whatever they're called. Ring light? Ring light. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. I, I think for me right now, it's all about dim light <laughs> I fucking switch off already candlelight is looking pretty good right now it's the one bonus of, uh, of uh, Gilby aging just along with me his eyes are aging quite um, quite rapidly too <laughs> well Kathy thank you so much for doing this this has been incredible one more thing. Frankie wanted, a qu- wanted me to ask you a question. I said, is there anything you want to ask Kathy? And she said, what advice would you give a female musician just starting out? My advice is songs, write songs, write songs, write songs. That's, that's what I tell any musician. It's just, it's really about the songs. It's, and yeah. for me, I have to write, I have to write maybe even up to 10, five, five to 10 songs that are fine. They're fine. They're good songs. But to get to the great one, you have to just keep doing it and keep doing it. And, you know, the way to write good songs is to listen to a lot of music and a lot of different kinds of music, because that'll make your, you'll just bring something in. Maybe you'll hear something in a Kendrick Lamar song or, or, and anything, you just never know. And it just makes your song a little bit more interesting that you pull something out that you've heard and reading a lot so that your, your lyrics have depth and they're smart. I think I'm just a big believer in writing a lot of songs because that's, what's going to last. That's what's going to make you the money. That's what's going to make your band stand out. Um, Everything else is like it, it comes and goes and it's it's flash and the songs are the substance. So that's what I believe. And I, there's all the other stuff of just kind of, you know, really believing in yourself and not letting people. I mean, I had a producer I wrote about it in my book where a producer told me, um, you know, first of all, he's like, oh, I'm going to make you the next Susie Quattro. You're, you're right. great. And then we did some recording. And he's like, oh, you don't have what it takes to be a lead singer. So I didn't, I thought I couldn't do it. And then in 2005, I worked with Muddy and I worked with Gilby and I made my first solo record and I had a blast. And I walked away from that going, I can't believe that I let that man 
tell me that I couldn't do this. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I, I felt like, you know, don't, don't listen to that. I wish I'd never listened to it. And not that I want to be a lead singer, but I don't want to, why, who says I can't sing a song? I can fucking sing a song. I, I, you know, I'm good. I write good songs. I, I play, I'm a great musician. I'm a great songwriter. I'm a, I'm a really good singer, all of it. And it took me to like 60 to say that, you know, mm-hmm. how great to be able to say that when you're Frankie's age, start doing the things you need to do to be able to say that because someone else tells you it. It's like, great. That's what they think. But when you think it, when you know it, nobody can ever take it away. And no. it took me too, too long to really know that and believe that about me, myself. I, I, and I always say that to her too. I always tell Frankie, I'm like, when people say no to me, I hear, I dare you. That's what me I Me too. That's what I always say. I go, I have to hear no so many times. It's like, no. Then I ask them, even if it's like for an upgrade, I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll call somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. I'm like, the, I'm like down at the hotel, like waiting for the shift to change so I can go ask the next guy for an upgrade. You know, it's like, because <laughs> exactly. you know, they can do it if they want. Once you know, they can do whatever they want. So yeah, I'm always yeah. like, I have to hear no, like maybe the eighth time I'll go, hmm. Maybe I didn't want that anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, are there any bands, are there any current bands that you like? Or who are you listening to? I love um, I love The Beaches. They're an all-female band from Toronto, and they really mm-hmm. remind me of Young Go-Go's. Not musically, their music is different, but they're just having a blast, and they're so good. Uh, I like I like Starcrawler. Oh, yeah. I like yeah, Frankie's. Uh, yeah, I like them. them. I like a, a lot of hip hop. What's that? Frankie's good friends with them. No, I was just saying Frankie's good friends with Starcrawler. Uh huh. Yeah. With um. Yeah, the um, the Arrow. Henry's dad is a friend of mine. So I didn't I didn't even know that my friends I didn't even know. But my another friend was saying, hey, you should check out um. You should check out Greg's son's band. And I was like, he goes, they're really cool. And I was like, oh, my God. So um, I love Frankie's band, by the way. I do love them. Uh, and yeah. I can't, I've never gotten to see it live. So I can't wait to be there when live stuff is happening. And Yeah, you'd love her live. Out. She is really badass. You'll love it. I always watch the videos and stuff. So I have a sense of it. Love it. And um, I like, I listen to a lot of hip hop. I'm really liking hip hop. Uh, a lot. I'm just super into it. I feel like I'm like in the nineties, I was like getting hip to jazz. I, I never understood or listened to jazz. And now I feel like I'm catching up on like 40 years of hip hop. I really am enjoying it. That's what I put on when I'm by myself. Of course, my classic rock and yeah, I'm always blinking out. I said enough. I, things I love nineties, nineties hip hop. I've been listening to a lot of it while I've been cooking lately. <laughs> Me too. I'm just catching up to all of it. I feel like I, I just didn't, uh, I didn't get it, or maybe I thought it wasn't for me, or I didn't deserve to listen to it because it wasn't my experience. I don't know what I thought, but I'm digging it now. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you mentioned ZZ Top too. I love ZZ Top. You mentioned them in your book quite a bit. My God, did you see their documentary? I did. I loved it. Did you see it? I did like it. I couldn't. I couldn't get over like cute young Billy. You know. I know. Like, I know. Billy's the best. <laughs> I love. Billy. I was oh like, my God, was so like that. I was like, that's him. It was so weird. I know. And he was so kind of nerdy and cute too. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. 
It's yeah, so good. It's so funny. And speaking of documentaries, aren't the Go-Go's doing a documentary? Yeah, it comes out August 1st on Showtime. And um, um, it's it's cool. It really it really dives into the punk roots, which I was, mm-hmm. I was in Austin still, kind of starting my own punk band. So they started... Uh, so it's, I don't even really come into the movie till like 35 minutes later after it starts, but, uh, it's good. It's, it's good. I, you know, lighting and makeup, I could have, I could have, I don't know. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but whatever. Whatever. All this whatever. stuff is cruel. I know. I always think, okay, you're going to look at this when you're when you're 75 and go, look at how I looked. I was gorgeous. <laughs> so <laughs> I always feel I I um I I one of my girlfriends a long time ago, one of my friends said to me, she's exactly 10 years older than me. I was complaining because I was turning 30, and she was 40 at the time, and she said, you're going to look back at 30 and think you were an idiot because look how gorgeous you are. And every 10 years, when you have a birthday that celebrates a milestone. Just stay with it and 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 be happy for where you're at because in ten years from now you're going to wish you were where you were. I know that's true. I remember on my wedding day, day I was like three or four months pregnant, and I just felt gross on my wedding day. And mm-hmm. I look at the 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 photos, and I'm just like, oh my god, I'm glowing, I'm gorgeous, you know. Right. And <laughs> and all I remember is feeling gross. Not not I was happy. I mean, I was happy, but physically, I felt I felt gross. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's part of being pregnant, I guess. Anyway, but I also felt great. I don't want to give that wrong message either. I, I felt amazing being <laughs> pregnant too. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Yeah, thank you so thanks much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for reading the book. I really appreciate that. And uh, well, we I'll look it. for you guys. Come, I'm Actually, I'm coming out there. We're taking a road trip. I'll be out there uh, mid-June. And I know it's social distancing, but maybe we can socially distance like have thinking LA is opening up June 12th they they did a, a thing today in the LA uh magazine well so Audrey misses her dad so we're 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 driving out we're stopping at the Grand Canyon and uh we'll oh, be there amazing. for for quite a while so I'll get in touch with you that'd be awesome please do I would so love that well, Kathy, thank you so much for doing Honest AF with us. It was such a pleasure to um, speak with you, and we loved, loved your book. So if anybody has any um, questions or um, wants to check out Kathy's book, you can check it out online. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Is there anything, anywhere else they could get it, Kathy? Uh, yeah, they can. you can support um, indie bookstores. Bookstoop has it. And... Um, and if you want to ask me, I'm on Twitter, Kathy underscore Valentine. I'm on Instagram, Kathy dot Valentine. I'm on Facebook, but not as much. But you can find me on social media, too. Please do. Okay, great. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And again, if you have any questions or topics that you want us to discuss, please hit us up on our socials, Honest AF Show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also online, honestafshow.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe. Keep well. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Kathy. We um, obviously need to do a disclaimer here. So we want you to know we are not doctors or experts by any stretch of the imagination. We are just a couple of gals that are looking for magical products, procedures, and experiences. And in our quest, we will share our honest as fuck opinions with you. 
So please make sure before you try anything we talk about that you know your own restrictions and do so at your own risk. Do not blame us for any of your issues. We're just experimenting too.